Hey, let's uh, let's pray and uh, let's let's get going. Lord, we thank you so much for today. Lord, it is your word that reveals to us who you are, or it is your spirit in your word that speaks to us that, that does give light to our dark hearts. Lord, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but you have made us alive. Lord, I pray that today that uh, you would give us ears to hear. Lord, may I speak clearly. Lord, if anything I speak is, uh, or what I speak, if something is what I speak is wrong, I pray that you would give these folks discernment to filter out what is to, uh, to be heard and what is to not. Lord, may we speak from your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I don't think we've gotten to too controversial today, but we'll just it all. But anyway, welcome to week number seven. Uh, last week, you know, we were if you have, you have your handout or you had your handout, you know, we were going to deal with verses six through fifteen last week, and we did not make it. We made it through verse ten of Colossians chapter two. We didn't quite make it that far, but. Uh, so this week what we'll do is we'll just pick up, we'll finish up through verse 15, and then we'll go ahead and step off next week, beginning with verse 16, and we'll move on through. Cliff has given us some grace on the schedule. Uh, we'll be running in parallel or in, yeah, really in parallel with a class at the end, but we'll just deal with that. And uh, I think actually it may well be Philip Bort's class, so um, y'all can leave me and, and go listen to him. That'd be fine with me. But uh, anyway, you know, as we move through Colossians, a little quick review. You know, it, it begins. What does it? What does Colossians begin with? It begins with what? Paul praying, right? First thing he does is he says, "I what?" We always thank God. He begins. He comes to Colossians. Says to the Colossians, "You are faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae." He says, "We thank God for you because we've heard of you. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints." Then he moves forward and he says, "So." So because of that, from the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. Right? So that is what Paul's pattern is. He comes and he opens his letter and he begins with a word of thanks, begins with a word of praise, and he moves forward. Again, it is praise that is directed to God. It is thanks that is directed to God. And he moves forward. And, he, and he's fighting a heresy in Colossae. We don't know exactly what it is. It had something to do with that the Colossians needed something more. What they had wasn't quite sufficient. There was a better knowledge or a more deeper mystery or uh, there was something that we don't know. It maybe had something to do with uh, Jewish tradition, Jewish law. could have been something with the, the mystery religions. We don't know. But I think that's, that's good because what we would tend to do is we'd say, well, if we know exactly what it is, we'd say, well, that doesn't really apply to us. Because we're real good at sifting and discerning and deciding what things don't apply to us, which allows us off the hook to take care of things that apply to us. Paul doesn't give us that. What he does, he comes, he doesn't spend a lot of time in the negative, so to speak. What he does, he spends time in the positive. And he presents the supremacy and the preeminence of Jesus Christ. What Paul's saying is, if you've got a right Christology, if you've got a right understanding of Christ, then it'll take care of everything else. Right? So if we have a right understanding of Christ, it'll take care of everything else. So we've come through. Paul talks about that he struggled for the gospel. 
He struggled for the church. He's prayed for them. He's suffered for them. He said, I don't mind you knowing I've suffered for you. He's never met the Colossians, right? He's never met them. He's heard about them from Epaphras, who had probably come to the Lord through Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Right? And now Epaphras has come back. He's got concerns about this church that he's planted. And Paul's praying for them. He says, I've, I've suffered. I've suffered for the gospel, and I've struggled for you. And having presented the supremacy of Christ, having told them how much he is struggling for them, how much he's praying for them, how much he struggled and suffered for the gospel, he says, I'm, I'm concerned for you. He says, so don't fall back from that faith that you first heard. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, verse 6, what? The first imperative is what? So walk in him. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Rooted, built up in him, established in your faith, just as you've been taught. And how are we to do that? How are we to walk in Christ? How? Verse 7. Thankfully. Uh, and, and not just thankfully, what? Abounding in thanksgiving. And we looked at how basically this abounding in thanksgiving also tied to this sense of joy. Right? I mean, really, it's, Paul says, I've learned to rejoice in all circumstances, in all situations. We see that in Philippians. Um, it, it, it is what, it is what, it's really what's characterized Paul. He rejoiced, and he, and he praised God, and he says, you need to abound in thanksgiving. Verse 8, reading in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and deceit, according to empty tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you also raised with him through faith through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rules and authorities, putting them to open shame, triumphing over them in him, or in it, or in the cross. We, there's some ambiguity there, but the point being is that the triumph over the rules and authorities of this world were in the work of Christ on the cross. Okay? Now remember, we moved from, we talked about what kind of verbs, what kind of, were we seeing up till now? We talked about them being indicative verbs, verbs of statement, verbs of uh, just simple statement. I pray for you. Um, walk. You know, they're just simple verbs of I'm losing my word of, of being of what? Yeah, declarative verbs. He's just declaring facts about Christ, about what he's doing, about his struggle. Now Paul moves into his commands. Into imperatives. We move into this section of where we're being urged, where we're being exhorted. First one was, so walk. We looked at that last week. And then verse 8 is what? See to it. 
Right? What was what was another way of saying see to it in Texan? Right? Y'all take heed, y'all take care, y'all keep a sharp lookout. In other words, pardon? Get her done. Alright? Pay attention here to, to this. Now here's what we're gonna do. So what I want to do though is I want to step back to verse 10. And I want to look a little bit at what it says is you have been filled. Okay, I want to look a little more at this idea of being filled in Christ. If you go to verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. I think that filling issue is really important. First, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay? In Christ, the fullness of God dwelt in him. Right? To dwell means to inhabit, uh, to dwell in something in a locality, to make something a habitation. Again, we look at the fact of that it is a present, it is active. In other words, the deity dwells in Christ even now. In him dwelt the fullness of deity. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, in Jesus Christ right now, bodily, i.e., Jesus Christ has a body right now, in Jesus Christ bodily, right now dwells the fullness of God. Understand that? That is, that is a huge thing. He's not. He didn't die. Not right. No, he died. He came. He rose again. He was the image of God. For all the fullness of the God had dwelt in him. Jesus Christ is the Word. He is the light of the world. He is. He is God in flesh. He is incarnate. And what Paul says now is this in verse ten. Verse ten. And you, you have been filled in Him. So in Jesus Christ, right now, the deity dwells in him. <clears throat> Not some portion of the deity, but a fullness. All the fullness dwells in Christ, and this is what dwells in us. Right? In Jesus Christ, let's put it this way, we are complete. Complete is another word. Complete ah, in Christ. Complete in Christ. We've been filled. We've been made full. We've been made complete in Christ. This fullness in Christ has been imparted to us. Okay? It has been imparted. Verse, verse 4, 19 of chapter 1. Let me read that. And this goes back. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Okay? So in the same way, the fullness of Christ is pleased to to dwell in us. What have we been filled with? What have we been made complete with? That's the question. Though, right? If, if, if we've been filled, there had to be a void. Or there had to be something there that shouldn't have been there. But I'm thinking here is, you've been filled. You, you, weren't, you weren't full. You weren't complete. What have we been filled with? John 1.16 says that from the word or from the fullness of Christ, John 1.16, we have received grace upon grace. See, body mouthing. That's right. Paul prays in the Ephesians that the Ephesians may know the love of Christ and that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
you have been filled. We looked at it last week. We said there was a, it was perfect tense. Perfect tense. It's something that happened at a point in time. Completely. But most importantly, it has a sense of ongoing effect. It didn't happen and stop. It happened with continuing effect. So at a point, you were filled in Christ. Or filled with Christ. Made complete with Christ. But it has a continuing effect in your life even now. In other words, you don't need something more. You don't need this other mystery. You need to do something else. You got it. You were made full. You were complete. And it's right now. You're not going to lose it. You don't need to find something else out there. Some other mystery. Some of the greater knowledge to do more. There's not a second something you got to come up with as a believer in Christ. You've got what you need right now. How are we not complete? We looked at that last week. And I, and I want to look at that again. We talked about the ways in which we were not, com were not complete. We kind of looked at four ways I thought about. We're, we're spiritually incomplete. Okay, Spiritual speaks to what? Our spirit's not right... I, I'm going to say it's relational. Relationship. A relationship with Christ, is or with God, prior to Christ, was lacking. Okay, In the garden, God walked with man in the cool of the evening, so to speak. And when he fell, that fellowship, that relationship, stopped. Man was not complete. Morally, we are incomplete. Morally. Or... If you're moral, you're in God's will. You're doing things in God's will. If you do something immoral, you do what is outside of God's will. Okay? So we're not complete. We are morally. We are outside of God's will in our natural state. Mentally. We're mentally incomplete without Christ. We don't know truth. We are blinded to truth. We are prone to believe lies. Okay? Spiritualize and quite frankly, even truth in this in this world, so to speak, we're, we're susceptible to it because our minds don't work right, right? And, and we're physically incomplete. Okay, we talked about that. Our bodies decay spiritually, morally, mentally, and physically. Oh boy. Hard to spell it close. Physically incomplete. And the point being is that in Christ, we're restored to a right relationship with Christ, to God. In Christ, we're inside of his will. We can do his will. We know the truth. We've come to know the truth, and the truth is what? Set us free. Physically? Right now, I'm still stuck in this body. And to some extent, I still struggle in every one of these. Right? I've been made complete. We're being made complete. And we will be complete. Okay? We are being renewed to a renewal. Colossians uh, 3, verses 10 and 11. Ray, you got the NAS? You got the New American Standard? Read 10 and 11. 
Colossians 3. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcision, side, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Right. You've put on the new self and it's being renewed. You've been made complete and you're being made complete. Okay? You've been renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. You're being, you're being made new, being renewed back to the image to reflect God as you were designed to in creation. Okay? So in Christ, this is happening. This completion is happening. And then verse 11, my translation it says here, or in this renewal, in this renewal, there's no Greek, slave, barbarian, Scythian, free. What, I mean, it's, Christ is all in all. Okay, we are being renewed. Okay, and that's the point when we get out of here. All right. Now, complete in Christ. How are we complete in Christ? And that's what we get into in verses, verses uh, 11 to the end of the chapter. Complete in Christ. Verse 11. It's an interesting metaphor. Let me read verse 11 again, going back to chapter 2. Uh, in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay? You've been circumcised in Christ. Okay? And as we walk through, we've been buried with him in baptism. Let's read 12. So let's, let's finish up the thought here in verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So we've been circumcised in Christ, and because of that, we experience with Christ his death and his resurrection. Okay, circumcision was a sign of the covenant, right, between God and his people. Okay, God made the covenant. It was one way. Genesis 15, God came. He told Abraham, I'm going to, I'm going to make your seed great, give you a great number of people, I'm going to give you the land, and, and through you is going to come a blessing for all the people, right? And God came down, he took, he had, animal he had Abraham take animals, he had them cut in half, he had them laid in a line, and then he put Abraham into a deep sleep, and he himself, as a picture of a smoking, firing pot, passed through those cut animals as a sign that he was making the covenant by himself. And so that Abraham remember it, he gave him, he gave him the symbol of circumcision. Okay? That, and that's that's where this word circumcision, I mean, that's where it's coming from. Okay. Remember though, I want you to remember when did Abraham believe God and God counted to him as righteousness? Where? In Genesis 12. Okay? Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness, Genesis 12. Genesis 15, God came, reiterated the covenant, what he would do, and he gave him the symbol or the sign of the covenant. Okay? So remember the order there. Okay? Remember the order. Um, again, Paul was probably dealing somewhat with a, with a false teaching that's saying they must be circumcised. We do want to deal with that. Had to do with the you gotta do something more. You Gentiles, you gotta do something more. You gotta maybe be a little Jewish, maybe you gotta you gotta 
put on the, the, uh, the, the symbol of the covenant, or you've got to follow some dietary laws, you've got to follow some of the, the uh, feast. That may have been part of what it was. But remember, it wasn't the physical act of circumcision that saves. Moses himself said that it was a heart that must be circumcised. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Let's go there real quick. And the Lord your God, this is, a, this is a, kind of the end, after they've all fallen, after the Jews have not followed the covenant. He says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind that you may live. And not mind, all your heart and all your soul that you may live. At salvation, our old self was crucified. Okay, So I think this picture, this circumcision is a picture of our conversion. So this picture of our hearts being circumcised is, is the Christian conversion. Okay, I do not think what Paul is dealing here is with... Uh, well, some people go here and they say that's why we should be the infant baptism. It's an argument for infant baptism we get into verse 12. Don't think that's what Paul is doing. He's just saying circumcision... Our hearts being circumcised is our Christian conversion. Looking at Genesis 30. That, I think that's what the picture is. At salvation, our old soul was crucified. Christ removes not a physical piece of flesh, but he removes our fleshly nature. The nature that is dominated by sin. Our fallen nature. It is a true spiritual act. No hands. Okay? Christ does it. It's his work. Um, this spiritual circumcision of the heart enables us to truly love God with our mind and our soul. You know, if you think about it, where else do we see this? What did, what did Stephen say? Remember, right before he was stoned? I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's the negative side. I mean, I think it's, 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 it is not circumcision. We, I mean, we all agree. It's not the physical act of circumcision that saves. But this is a, this is a uh, in some ways, a revolutionary statement against the Jews, and they get someone saying you need something else. Uh, at, I wrote down Acts 7.51. Let's go there real quick. He's speaking to the leaders. He says, you're stiff-necked. you got hard hearts. He said, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised in heart and ears. Okay? He's saying, these, you've not been circumcised in your heart and ears. Yeah, you've, you're missing a few pieces on your body, but your heart hasn't been circumcised. Romans 2.29. Same idea, Romans 2.29. Paul's talking here. Let's go here and read this. And drive on. We, we don't need it. I know some of you may have had your children circumcised, but it has nothing to do with your salvation or their salvation or being in a covenant. 2.29 But a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Our circumcision is of the heart. All right, verse 12. In Adam, we all died 
with Adam. Okay? Adam's our federal head. He is our representative. In the garden, when Adam sinned, what? We sinned with him. Alright? That's what, that's what we're saying. That is, that is original sin. That is imputed sin. Adam's sin's imputed to us in the sense that when he sinned, we sinned with him. In Christ, our old flesh was cut off. We were made alive. So, when Christ was went to the cross and died, what this is saying is, for you have a circumcised you have the circumcised heart, you went to the cross and died with him. And when Christ was raised from the dead, you were raised with him. Okay? When Christ was made alive, you were made alive with him. Okay? So this is a Dying with him, being raised with him, being made alive with him is because in him, in his death, we die. And it's because our hearts have been made alive. Okay? We are in Christ, but we experience these uh, being made alive, the dying, the rising because we are with him. With Christ, we are buried to the old way. With Christ, we are raised in newness of life. We are buried, therefore, with him in baptism unto death in order, just as Christ was raised, this is Romans 6, you've been raised in newness of life. Verse 11 talks about being put off, that stripping off. First, look, I'm going to look at that phrase there. Colossians 2, verse 11 says, you, it's, uh, In him you were also circumcised with circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh. Stripped off, ripped off, torn off. It, it, it's a violent picture here. Okay? If any man is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he is a new creation. If we are new creatures, if the old body of flesh, the dominion of sin has been removed, why do we still sin? If the old man, if, the old, if, we've, been, if we've been stripped off, why do we still sin? Is that because of what uh, Paul talks about in Romans 7, that we actually have a dual nature? The flesh remains there, while the new spiritual you, or me, is in place by Christ. What we let the Spirit guide and uh, feed is what's going to try us in our spiritual life. Because I'm in Christ, I can be made complete, and I am made complete. Right? Morally, spiritually, mentally, physically. But I'm also being made complete. There's still this old man, old wretched man that I am. Who would deliver me from this body of flesh? So we're still trapped. There's still this old body of flesh that we have to deal with. With its sinful desires, with its inclinations. But we have, both in Christ, in Christ we're righteous. And we also have the ability to be within God's will. So there is that tension. All right, verse 12. In Christ we are circumcised and are putting off the sinful nature. So we participate with him. And, and you know, if, if you get some time, go back and read Romans 6. Romans 5, Romans 6. It's, it's really a, a mirror passage of what's going on here. It, the, Adam was the federal head of all his people. Christ is the head of all his people. Of all Adam's people, fell in Adam, so all Christ's people are made alive in him. Um, 
and I think it's the same thing going on here with baptism. The Israelite had the physical sign of circumcision. The Christian has the physical sign of baptism. But just as the physical circumcision of the, of the Israelite didn't save him, he needed the circumcision of the heart. So to our baptism doesn't save us, but it's a symbol of that baptism of the Spirit that baptizes us and puts us into Christ. Okay? But I'm also going to say something here. Is just as a Jew who was not circumcised was unthinkable to Moses, so to a Christian who has not been baptized okay, in, the, in, in water should also be unthinkable. Okay? Yes, we know the thief on the cross. Yes, we know there's, there may be logistical issues. But when someone comes to Christ, they need to be baptized. It's not, it's, it's, it's not, a, it's not an alternate choice, so to speak. It, it, it should be something that should, be, should follow our conversion. It is important. All right? I think in a previous class we talked about you know, what to do with our children that come up in the church. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that can be a struggle, and that's really not for this class. But I think, too, though, is that's why, that's why I don't see as, as, infant, as infant baptism as being right. Okay? All right? Only Christians are baptized. Only those who've had a circumcised heart should be baptized. All right? The so. person themselves should choose to be baptized rather than the parent choosing for the child. That's right. You can dedicate a child. That's wonderful. It's a sign of a spiritual act. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I grew up with the dedication. And it was a, it was a, it was a very formal thing. And, and it's nice because the parent stands up and says, we dedicate our child to the Lord in the sense of what we are raising him for him. And the church in, in kind says, we dedicate ourselves to raising this child for the Lord too. It was a it was a two way it was a two way thing, and that's as far as the child dedication. It's a it is a beautiful picture. We are saved by faith in the power of God, salvation by faith, not baptism. But a Christian should be baptized. Just the Christian should take the Lord's supper. Um, we talked uh, back when we dealt with soul scripture. We talked about how. I believe baptism can be a means of grace for God to minister and draw the believer closer to Him. Okay? It's also a big event in, a, in that person's life to be baptized. It's a marker. Okay? It, it, it is a marker. And we talked about you know, some of us are, you know, some people know when they came to salvation. Okay? Some of us don't. But we know we're saved. Okay, baptism can be a nice marker. Okay, because we are people. I mean, it, it can be a pile of stones to look back on, so to speak. Sometimes that can be an ongoing event to be be a believer. It's some, for some people, it's not all of a sudden. Some <clears throat> right. It's you know, Some people, and certainly the adults, come to an epiphany and and, and and believe. Others, you know, they're not sure when they. But they agree and they believe. Um, I've talked to Charlene about that. You know, she she never knew a time when she didn't know the Lord. You know, talking to my daughter before she was baptized, and she said, "I I never knew a time when I didn't know Him." 
You know, that, that, that's a what, what a great testimony. If you could say that on your deathbed, wouldn't that be a great thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, Joe. Well, I was just saying, Dave, your exhortation fits in real well with two six. You know, you you, you receive Christ Jesus, walk in. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. We should pray like Christ. We should take communion like Christ. We should. We should minister like Christ. We should be concerned about things as whatever Christ did, we should do. Right. That's exactly right. And, and, and it's after having received him. Okay. We walk in him. Okay. Let's go to verses 13 through 15. Um, you know, let's, uh, you know, for complete in Christ, uh, 11 through 12. How about we're saved completely? Okay, keep my little thing I got going here. All right, and let's look at 11 through 12. Let's go uh, verse 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with all his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Two things. We were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You weren't ill. You didn't have a cold. You weren't floundering around. You were what? Dead. Okay, what does a dead man do? Nothing. Right, anything he wants to do, right? What does a dead man want to do? Nothing. Be dead, right? Dead, a dead man is dead. And that's when we were, all right? So it, it's in that, it's in that condition we are made alive. Okay? Dead men do one thing. They be dead. And they also stink and they also decompose. Alright? And if you let a man go about his own desires long enough, you know, just look at a little child. He starts out cute and cuddly, but he gets bad real fast. Okay? And that's with all of us. Okay? We keep, we get bad. We stink. And a lot of times you'll be dead quick too. That's right. We keep going that way. Now, in what manner were we dead? Or... Where were we dead? Two places. What does it say there? We were dead what? In our... Well, let's say right there in, the, right there in your text. What does it say? Trespasses. Okay. I'm not, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, trespasses what? Is it sins? Sins. Okay. Things we do. How else are we dead? Let's see. Uncircumcision of the flesh. Okay? I mean, what Paul's saying is, you Gentile Colossians, you were dead in your sins, your trespasses, in your errors, you're missing the mark, but you're also dead in your uncircumcision of the flesh. You weren't Jews. You were outside the covenant of God. So even the Jew that wasn't circumcised to the heart, he was still within the covenant community. He could still, he still had every day painted before him the pictures, right? The temple Tom talked about, the sacrifices. There, there, was a, there, was a, there was a light that was there for him that he, could, that he could enjoy. And Paul's saying to these Colossians, you were dead, double dead. Not only your trespasses, but also you weren't circumcised. You weren't part of the covenant people. You were blind. You were without hope in the world. Ephesians 2 says that, right? You were without hope. But, but, what? Ephesians 2, uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Let's go there real quick. 
Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Verse 1, jumping down to verse 5. Even, and he says this, but God being, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when you were dead in your trespasses. So again, you were dead in your trespasses. Now verse 11. Therefore, remember, you Ephesians, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Okay? You were Gentiles. You weren't Jews. You weren't circumcised. You were uncircumcised. You didn't have the light. Okay? You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. So, I mean, as Gentiles, I mean, God has shown us mercy. You know, I just finished a book a couple weeks ago on Alexander the Great. Actually, it's by Freeman. It's here in the library. I recommend it to you strongly. It's it's almost like reading a, 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 a novel. But what struck me is he was a genius. He was driven. But oh my, were the Macedonians and the Greeks dark? I mean, they were perverted and they were wicked. But I mean, they did mighty things. It's amazing the things they did. But just just a complete blindness that he had. He was outside the covenants of promise. He had never heard of Yahweh. I mean, Noah. Okay? I mean, he, he just didn't understand it. I mean, thousands of years, thousands of years after the flood, this civilization had been blinded. I mean, just think about it. What that would do if he had no guide. And that's the condition we would have been in. All right. So what does it say that God did? He what? He what? He made you alive. He made you alive. Together what? With Christ. Okay? We were buried with Christ in baptism, raised with him in baptism. We've been made alive together with him. Our union with Christ is what assures us of all these things. Okay? And as a result of our union with Christ, God forgave all our sins. Not some, not those sins to the point, but all of our sins. We are fully complete in Christ. Our sins are fully forgiven in Christ. We're complete in Christ, completely saved, completely forgiven. It's another aspect of the same thing, to be saved, to be forgiven. We looked at the different aspects of salvation a few weeks ago. Okay, Now, how did God forgive us? Wink, wink. That's okay, no big deal. How did Christ forgive us? The death of his son. The death of his son. He, what did it say there? Let's read it. It's, it's, a, it's a great, it's a really neat picture that he's putting there. I'm sorry, Aaron. He forgave us. He what? He he blotted out. He canceled the record of death that stood against his legal demands. Canceled. Uh, some of the translations say blotted out. 
Okay? Imagine they would write on the skins of animals, right? Vellum was the, was the material of the skin of an animal, and the ink didn't penetrate. So you could blot it out. Okay? The, the other picture is this, uh, this record of debt. That's like an IOU. It's like you coming to me, you wrote down your debts that you owed me, you signed it, you wrote down all your sins, all your trespasses, God, and you put your signature on it. IOU. And it's an infinite, infinite IOU. Can't be filled. Okay? When God, what this says God did was is he took that, he blotted it out, he erased it, but he didn't leave it there. He nailed it to the cross. Even though he forgave the debt, so to speak, he nailed it to the cross and he paid it in full. And he paid it in full with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the picture. He nailed it to the cross. The legal demand, without the shedding of blood, what? There is no forgiveness of sin. The legal demand for sin was the shedding of blood. Christ's blood was shed. Okay? An IOU blotted out, nailed to the cross. God forgave our debt because of the work of his son. Christ paid it. Christ paid the debt. Okay? And because of that, what? He disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame. Same word or same root of the word as the circumcision, that cutting off. In other words, he stripped them of their clothes. He put them to shame. You think of the picture of the king coming before it, and then just, they just rip off his clothes, rip him naked after he was defeated, and he would, he would stand there in shame before his army and all the armies. That's the picture. Okay? They were disarmed. They were defeated. They were put to open shame. And he triumphed over them in the cross. The cross did it. The instrument designed to defeat Christ instead was turned to defeat Satan. He has no standing would be the legal term. Okay? To bring a lawsuit, you have to have standing. Okay? Because of the work of Christ, for his people, he can accuse, but he has no standing. Christ has the standing. Okay? It's a great and glorious triumph, too. Okay? He triumphed over them in the cross. He doesn't limp across the finish line. That word for triumph, when a, when a, when a Roman uh, general would have a victory, he would come into Rome, and he would walk beneath the arch. You know, the arch should be built in his honor. And in his train, behind him would be families, his families, his children, people making music, and also would come the slaves and captives that he had defeated. Okay? It was a huge celebration. Christ triumphed over the rules and authorities by the cross. That's the picture. Okay? It's a great and glorious thing. So, saved completely, forgiven completely, Completely victorious. Okay? In Christ, we are complete. In Christ, we've been made full. We are sufficient in Christ. Okay? Don't need anything else. Okay? 
We have what we have, have what we need in Christ. Any quick questions? I'm late. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the completeness of the victory of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation we enjoy in him. Lord, I pray that we would not leave that here in this room. Lord, I pray that we would take the completeness we enjoy in Christ and it would enable us and cause us to live with abandon for your son tomorrow in our homes, in our workplaces, with our families. Lord, might we know that we are sufficient in you might that take all of our fears away? Lord, might we live victorious lives in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.